Welcome to this edition of the Musicians Saving Our Home Planet podcast. I'm your host, John Guggenheim. Musicians Saving Our Home Planet's mission is to educate and raise awareness about issues concerning our environment. This episode's guest, John Holland, who is the board president of the Grand Staircase Escalante Partners, joins us to discuss the current conditions in the recently downsized Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. We talk about the ways in which the partners support the monument. We also cover a new and disturbing attitude within federal agencies, such as the Department of the Interior and the Bureau of Land Management, that prioritizes commercialization over conservation and local management over federal oversight. It's my pleasure to welcome John to the Musician Saving Our Home Planet podcast. Well, thanks, John. It's, it's really my pleasure to be with you today. You're currently the board president of the Grand Staircase Escalante Partners. Um, I want you to let everybody know, this is a big question, so I get to shut up for a minute, uh, the history of the partners, what the partners' mission is, and some of the activities that the, the, the partners support. Partners was uh, formally established in 2004 as the Friends of Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, but, um, but changed its name uh, a year later in 2005. So this is already, um, so you remember that the Grand Staircase National Monument was established under, under President Clinton in 1996, which was an extremely controversial uh, um, designation locally. Uh, the, the residents of these very rural, uh, and, uh, and we use the word frontier uh, rather than rural often, to describe these towns because they're so tiny and they're surrounded by such empty places. Um, but a lot of the, the majority of the residents here locally and again, the uh, Utah's uh, congressional um, delegation and um, our governor and um, all of our state representatives opposed the establishment of the National Monument to begin with. Um, they'd like to claim that there was, uh, and the call came as a surprise, but there was actually, Senator Hatch was working with, uh, and the governor were working with, uh, then Secretary of Interior Babbitt's office um, to try to come to terms uh, for what was about what was going to happen, and that was the establishment in 2000. I'm sorry, 1996 of the National Monument. So partners, uh, but a lot of us, um, a lot of people down here did support the National Monument, and um, and once the initial shock of the designation was over with. Um, uh, the the monument manager was really looking for um, citizens who might be interested in in forming and organizing uh, around their support to help others in the communities come around to see um, what was great about the establishment the establishment of a national monument and how that might benefit us in the long run, um, as well as to do what friends groups do, which is to help. Um, so non so to help the land management agencies do the work, um, a lot of the public facing work that they do, uh, but don't necessarily have staff budgets and time to um, to conduct themselves. So um, we hired our first staff in 2006. Uh, that's Grand Circuit Pot Partners hired. Uh, uh, the board hired uh, their first employee in 2006 to conduct walks and talks um, at the request of the monument manager. They needed someone to work in the communities to do to, to presentations and uh, both indoors and outdoors um, and to begin educating both visitors and local um, residents on the um, what was happening in the monument, what was so special about this place. And um, that went well um, in, in 2011. In fact, things really got going. By 2011, we hired an archaeological site steward uh, coordinator. This was someone who uh, would train and work with volunteers to uh, monitor archaeolo archaeological sites um, in the public domain here uh, in the monument. 
um, the, particularly the more um, the more popular, the more, more well known and visited archaeological sites. Um, uh, our our coordinator and the volunteers uh, went to the sites to just uh, keep track of uh, any damage or impacts, undue impacts uh, to those sites, and report those to the BLM so uh, mitigation efforts could be, take place. We had, oh, in the same year, 2011, we hired um, also hired a restoration coordinator and a paleontological technician. So the restoration coordinator's job was going to be it became a 10-year um, project um, uh, finally uh, to be to man to to manage in woody invasive uh, tree removal on the Escalante River watershed. So this became the largest river restoration project in BLM's history. Um, and could you and, uh, mm-hmm. kind of tell the listeners what had gone wrong within that river corridor? And and then they'll have a better sense of what the changes would be. So back in in the nineteen seventies, um, when you would enter the Escalante River corridor, you um, you found yourself in a really a riparian paradise, um, sandy beaches, a nice broad river meandering down the canyon, the River Canyon corridor. With uh, willows and uh, cottonwood trees, and uh, just beautiful grottos hanging on the walls. Um, what happened was um, by oh about 1985 or 1986, certainly by 1987, um, Russian olive, uh, which was a which was introduced into the area actually to help. Um, um, reduce the influence of erosion uh, on the land um, got out of control and it turns out Russian olive is a very aggressive um, um, tree it's uh, it's uh, it invades the landscape um, it uh, eliminates um, other native species um, re- reduces and then eliminates uh, native species and ultimately what it does is it um, it forces the river to channelize. That is, to the, the broad river that we saw in the 70s became a narrower, deeper river. So it changes the whole ecology of the river corridor. And so as the river starts in the National Forest, runs through uh, the National Monument, and then into Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, and eventually into Lake Powell, um, that entire corridor, particularly through the center of the canyon, became uh, really choked by Russian olive. So it was agreed that we should, along with the state of Utah's Department of um, uh, Natural Resources, um, Forest Service, Park Service on the low end of the river, and the Grand Staircase National Monument, um, uh, work began to um, effectively remove uh, the Russian olive from the corridor. And that project was funded we spent $10 million um, of grant funding provided, all provided by the Walton Family Foundation. And um, they do have a, um, a part of the found, their foundation is focused on environmental um, uh, projects. And we were very lucky to have them as a partner. Last uh, year, uh, the in 2019, the last Russian olive tree was cut out of the uh, one of the of the side canyons and work was completed in Harris Wash. A little bit of cleanup going on this year, but we celebrated the the completion of that project this spring. And um, and now it, it goes to um, um, a monitoring uh, project, uh, which again our our restoration coordinator is managing that work. And what they'll do is just go in and um, uh, methodically go through the river corridor there'll be um, technicians that are in the field all through the warm dry months and um, and and monitoring russian olive to make sure that what's been taken out is doesn't start to grow back and um, so that the 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 investment of resources over 10 years is um, um, holds and uh, we're already seeing amazing um, results from the uh, removal of the Russian olive, the, the um, what, what flash floods in the region will help 
really help to redistribute uh, sediment in, in the corridor and to give us back our big, broad Escalante River and um, bring back the sandy beaches, willows, and cottonwood groves. So that's the responsibility of, of Grand Staircase Escalante Partners, you're, you're uh, not restoration up, coordinator. You're, you're not up for an, another 100-mile backpack trip, are you? <laughs> I am actually. Have <laughs> you got something in mind? You want, shall we go do a field trip, John? Yeah, you're happy you're, I, happy I to join I, you on that. I think I'm going to have to directly report on the state of the river in two, three years. <laughs> yeah, let's let's yeah. plan on doing that. And then, in t- so back uh, 2011, we also hired a paleontological uh, technician, and um, and uh, what she. W- was assigned to do was to work with the Grand Circus Escalante National Monument managers um, and their 10 or 20, depending on the season, volunteers working in the paleo lab. So as paleontological discoveries on the monument were um, wrapped up and brought into the lab for um, for, for cleanup and further analysis, um, she helped to um, conduct that work. Um, and, so, And my, my knowledge is it even goes beyond that. Now you guys have a lot more public programs. Uh, there's a, a kind of a, a a classroom within the monument that you guys have been hosting. Uh, Marsh's project, the Southern Utah Oral History Project. You guys have been true friends to the to this public land of of all of ours. Sure. Yeah. The um, so so partners work really um, went full steam ahead from. From the time we hired um, our first staff back in 2006 and hired more staff in 2011 and up and right up until 2017 and um, and the change of administrations sort of changed everything and um, uh, kind of flipped management on its head. And um, and that was when uh, Grand Staircase Escalante Partners added the role of um, of, uh, of advocacy. Uh, monument advocacy to our uh, mission, protecting the place and protecting the national monument as it was designated in 1996 um, uh, from from the changes that uh, took place. But again, as you said, we'll get to that. Right. And it's, it's, that. That's a, that is a beautiful mission, but you know, me per, for, for me personally, and I'm sure for many of the partners themselves, I was a member for a minute. I got to send in a dues check. Uh, I was going to talk to you about that, John. Yeah. No. <laughs> when the president no, you, calls you. Do, you, you do a lot. You and, and uh, musicians saving the planet do a lot for for our uh, organization, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. So, so, um, but I, I would, I would rather that your efforts were more within the pre twenty seventeen efforts. That's, that's yeah. Money better spent to me. Yeah, we are. We're still there, and we have we have a brilliant staff now. Um, we have such such bright people working for us, and the programming is exceptional. Um, we have an education coordinator who's working with the the uh, local public schools and. Um, um, again, depending on how how the summer proceeds and how visitation proceeds, um, she'll definitely be organizing um, all kinds of great um, experiences for for visitors as well. So, before we dig into the meat and potatoes here, I, which is basically going to be about how the monument's been shrunk from 1.9 million acres to about a million acres, we have to establish you know, why this is a national monument. Um, And this all centers around the creation of national monuments through a law called the Antiquities Act. And the Antiquities Act uh, is designed to put an extra layer of protection, which is what the national monument status is, on federal lands that have scientific and historic value. So I just kind of want to go through what some of those objects of science, scientific and historic value that are contained within the National Monument. Yes. On, uh, so on September 18, 1996, um, and President Clinton um, established the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument by proclamation and under his authority uh, provided 
through the Antiquities Act, um, he recognized um, that the monument presents exemplary opportunities for geologists, paleontologists, archaeologists, historians, and biologists. And you notice that it, it doesn't say anything about a recreation. And I, I didn't mention recreation. It really is uh, was established as a monument for science. And so you can imagine that under those five headlines, geology, paleontology, archaeology, history, and biology, there are a lot of objects and values within uh, 1.9 million acres um, in this corner of the Colorado Plateau that really deserve some protection. Um, you know, in geology, the, the Grand Staircase name points to the extraordinary geology here and the, the earth layers that are revealed uh, one upon the other and then exposed through erosional and uplifting forces in the region um, that tell the story of times gone by. The fossil record on the Kaparowitz is unmatched um, in the world. Um, so along with, along with the PL, uh, and that's paleontological, the art, Archaeologists, uh, the Native Americans, um, as we, we know, um, call this place home. And there isn't one tribe that, that, that points to this place and says, this, was, this is our ancestral land. There are uh, a number of tribes that, that can do that. And um, we're partners is very lucky to just uh, be building upon um, our relationships with the tribes and uh, in order to um, reach a, a, a closer understanding of how deep their history is here. Uh, and then biology, um, again, when you think about um, flora and fauna, plants and animals uh, and everything underneath that great big umbrella, um, Again, this is a very special place, exemplified most recently by um, what comes to mind is the fact that over 600 species of bees alone have been uh, found inside the boundaries of the National Monument, the original National Monument. The diversity, uh, the biological diversity here is astounding um, and truly um, deserves the same protection that these um, other scientific areas I mentioned uh, deserve. For discovery, um, for for enjoyment, but really for learning, um, and so um, that was the the basis of the monument um, designation originally in 1996. Um, of course, there the monument had a recreation coordinator um, that um, knowing that. When you establish a national monument in a place like this, we're going, there's going to be visitation, but to help manage the, the uses, the recreational uses on the Grand Circus lands was important as well. But um, without losing sight of the, the, really the reason for the designation originally, which, um, and I'll say it again, was science, um, learning and discovery. And that really is, um, I hope that we get back to that point uh, someday. Um, it's within reach, um, but uh, not under the current administration. I'm going to release this eventually with as kind of a partner uh, interview to an interview with David Rankin, who is a guy who experienced firsthand a ton of the science uh, on the monument, and it's really fascinating. Um, and once again, it's just because it's this unique place on Earth. Um, and I, I don't want to brush aside recreation at all because it is also a unique recreation place. And uh, although I didn't give you any warning about this, I'm, I'm going to blather on for a moment. Um, if, and John's a skier also. But when you go skiing... They don't want the beginners up on the expert slopes, and the experts would obviously be bored on the beginner slopes. And Grand Staircase 
is a different recreation than our national parks. Uh, there's fewer trails. It's a bigger area. Um, it presents different challenges, more of the explorer. I think you had used the word explore, exploration mm -hmm. earlier. Um, it's a place where, where you can get in trouble, get lost, but the rewards are greater because you're going to be in places where fewer and fewer people have traveled and experienced. The Escalante River was the last river ever uh, explored in our country. Right. Um, and, and I think for the adventurers out there, um, that's a pretty unique thing that uh, is also very worthy of preservation. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a place where you can go and really experience what it was like, you know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Yeah. Travel back in time and and test your personal metal against the elements. And, and it's it's weird coming from a guy who I feel more comfortable in nature than I do in my house. But that's after years of sleeping on the ground and hiking into treacherous places, or not treacherous, but you know canyons, places where you have to keep mm -hmm. your wits about you. Um, and I think that might be one of the things that's getting impacted right now. So I did want to mention that. Um, anyhow, it was December 4th of 2017 when President Trump issued his proclamation, which shrunk the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument almost by half. And the partners and others immediately challenged this proclamation in court. That's right. Um, like me at the time, but I've learned differently, but many Americans, you know, we're all under the impression that while this is in court, there's not going to be any damage done to the monument. Everything's going to wait until the case is settled. Um, but as I stated, that's not what's happening. And a lot of this stuff, I guess, is, is tied to a reworking of the management plan for both the lands that were removed from the monument and those that remain within the monument. Right. So um, I kind of want to know why it's important to manage the monument in a way that focuses on conservation. Right. Well, um, you know, a minute ago I d described for you the, the five scientific qualities that establish the base of the uh, monuments designation in the first place. And so you know that when the uh, the current administration um, took over and uh, President Trump came in and um, exceeded the his authority under the Antiquities Act and reduced Grand Staircase National Monument by 64%, and not to mention Bears Ears uh, National Monument uh, by 85%, um, he really um, shifted gears from conservation to consumption, from conservation to, to extraction. Um, and so getting back to, um, to conservation is super important just to get, get the monument back on track and back where it, it, it needs to be, back where it belongs, right, John? The, yeah. You're, um, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> that's right. Um, so the very day that, um, the president signed his proclamation to reduce the monument, um, we, that's Grand Circus, that's Lonnie Partners, along with the Conservation Lands Foundation and Society for Vertebrate Paleontologists, uh, sued the president for doing that. And, um, that's the lawsuit that, that you're talking about. Um, you know, I can talk a little bit about the where we are in that lawsuit and, and it has been a long arduous and painfully frustrating road but we do have uh, great legal representation um, at the helm for our organizations uh, to prove the the simple fact that the president um, stepped out of bounds uh, by by reducing the monument 
and um, uh, and getting back to um, uh, getting back to a monument that um, focused on science and focused on conservation practices. Um, I'm afraid is further off than the, even the result of this lawsuit. Um, you know, I can talk to you about the the mining exploration that has taken place uh, since Trump's designation and um, and 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 plans for opening up uh, additional areas for cattle grazing, which can be entirely destructive on a landscape. Now but there's the mm-hmm. let, let's let's just jump right in um, okay to all these things so that, that mm-hmm. they, they created a new management plan right and I, I also prior to even doing this I would like to state that the American mm-hmm. public uh, was allowed to put their input into these national monuments prior to the the proclamation and Close to 99% of Americans did not want these monuments touched in any way. Right. Um, And then these management plans, these new management plans were created. And once again, the public had opportunity. And I'm not as familiar with the results of those. But judging Mm -hmm. by the initial 99%, I'm sure that people – uh, who put their input in were looking for more uh, conservational priorities than than what the new management plans uh, reflect. Right. Um, so this is this is kind of going against the will of the the citizenry of our country. That's um, right. But uh, I'd like you to describe that these activities, which were previously not permissible within the borders of the monument. I'd also like to know if they are currently occurring on lands uh, both within the monument still and lands that are removed from the monument. So when the monument was reduced uh, in size, um, it was actually um, split into three pieces. And so you have lands that were uh, previously in the Grand Staircase National Monument and no longer are. Um, and we call those excised lands, lands removed from the, the Grand Staircase National Monument. And um, so, uh, so places um, that obtain um, or places that hold um, resources, um, objects, and values um, that were protected in the 1996 National Monument um are now have been unprotected essentially since um since 2017 since trump's proclamation and so what has unfolded in the meantime um is uh there's mining claims that have been staked and um and identified and uh and filed uh with the blm there is uh, one such mine. Um, it's a um, alabaster uh, mine where the um, the company that is um, going to be mining in there has already begun uh, under the guise of exploratory work, um, tearing down um, hillsides and uh, in, in establishing. Uh, you know what's there and where that where the where, where they should be focusing their attention on mining this is just open mine they're using a a giant uh cat caterpillar excavator to to scrape the the walls and pull down material and to remove um large pieces of alabaster their permit will provide something like i think it's uh uh i don't have the number in front of me but i want to say it's something like a hundred and uh 25 or 150 million uh tons of material per year um, as they operate and um uh, again that's going on in a place that 
was protected before 2017 and where this activity would not be allowed. Um, uh, that's probably the, the greatest impact. Um, the physical impacts and changes to the landscape that are taking place are probably under that mining headline. How would that change the a visitor's experience? Yeah, we've gone in there and it's, um, I mean, it's devastating, John. It's, <laughs> you can imagine uh, one day um, walking um, into this area uh, where there's known, um, uh, there are known paleontological resources and um, getting that tingling sense that you have when you're in a place where uh, uh, there's, you know, it's a special place. The earth is um, lifted and, and subsided and dramatically in this place. And um, uh, the views are um, in every direction are stupendous. There's nobody around. And you come across uh, a brand new road that has ripped trees out of the ground and left them by the side of a brand new road that provides access to the machinery and the trucks that and trailers that will be necessary to to perform the work of mining, and um, and the shock that goes along with that, um, because um, because of the lawsuit, this um, these developments didn't take place um, behind the scenes. Uh, we were actually um, uh, the BLM is required by the court to inform us of ground disturbing activities in the lands excised from the monument. And uh, so we got notice of this particular activity and went out to see it and it's, it is shocking. Um, so um, it's a big difference. And um, of course, just like this, um, uh, just like the lawsuit itself unfolding slowly, um, the Damage to the excised lands is also unfolding slowly. It's death by a thousand cuts, if you will. Um, uh, type of change is, is taking place on the land here. Let's talk about some of those other cuts for a moment. Uh, you had mentioned road building, and I right. know that uh, the, the partners have been monitoring mm -hmm. uh, road building uh, within these lands could you tell us about some of those right um well there's two places in particular um what what's about to happen there isn't really a notice of it yet but um we know that uh one of the next big steps for the counties here um in working with the bureau of land management is to um prepare a, a new transportation plan to uh, replace the old transportation plan and to get that kicked off this uh, last winter, the county, well, the county I reside in, um, part of the monument is in Garfield County, uh, hired consultants to go out and to um, document every um, trail, cow trail, uh, uh, old road, um, existing roads, and, um, and get all of those um, on one uh, map. Uh, by use of G GPS technology, and um, uh, so that that inventory could then be turned over and used in the development of a new management plan. There are uh, currently on the one the, the original 1.85 about 1.9 million acres of Grand Staircase National Monument. There uh, were something like about something like 1,500 miles of um, roads uh that were approved and open for use not always passable but but uh, technically open and a lot of routes had had been closed and um the um the counties are now pushing for um, particularly administrative um uh changes to um, the old transportation plan that would allow them to um before this new transportation plan is developed to open up two routes into the monument. Uh, one's called the V road and the other one's called the inchworm road. And the V road was recently regraded by, they just went into a road that had been closed for 20 years where the land had, had 20 years to recover itself. 
and was in that process. And, and just to give you a picture uh, in your mind of what this place is, it's very sandy soils. The, um, the vegetation is limited uh, and sparse. So it's not a great place for grazing. It's certainly not a place for cows um, in, in my definition. But in any case, um, they uh, opened up what was a closed road and, and graded it, put a grader on it, went, uh, pushed a road out into an area that um, is adjacent to a wilderness area. And um, they have essentially opened it up to the public um, before the new transportation plan is developed before the lawsuit is settled um, and uh, all with the blessing of the Bureau of Land Management stand behind their decision to allow the counties to do this on a, in a, on a, through administrative effort. Right. Now, you had just said that that opens it up to the public, which mm-hmm. uh, our, our listeners are probably going, yay, we can go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You used to be able to go there, too. Right. You just, had, you just had to walk about the last. You had to walk the last three or four miles to get out there. Right, and that would be a, a nice, quiet place, which the monument is famous for. I, I, I won't talk about it, but there's a, some really cool places to explore, kind of in this area. Yeah. Um, is it still a quiet place now that they've done this grading? The day we were out there, uh, we did. Uh, we ran into uh, um, three, two different groups, three, three, um, three people that I spoke to uh, of the out of the two different groups were from uh, California and Texas and Salt Lake City. I'm not sure how they found out that the road was open, but um, they did, and um, you know they they enjoyed. I'm sure they were enjoying their their day out there it was a beautiful day and the um, improved access for them into um, what is a spectacular and special part of the monument. You know, we're not opposed to, we have no reason to limit uh, access to these areas um, by people who have the interest in getting out there and going. But what concerns me is um, motorized access to these places um, tends to bring in uh, folks that are um, uh, on vehicles that can basically go anywhere. uh, And they're in areas that are very remote um, where there's essentially no law enforcement. And um, the risk is that they'll do what they want. And, and some, not all, but some motorized uh, vehicle users um, will, go, will, will go off the roads. And uh, the, damages, the damage that these machines can create um, take many years to recover in such a fragile landscape. So, uh, and again, if you go back to the, the idea of conservation, now we're talking about um, using machinery to disrupt um, uh, biological uh, processes that um, will take um, a very long time uh, to recover. I'd like to bring up, this, this is uh, a little bit of a tangent, but mm-hmm. uh, a mutual friend of ours, Mark Austin had talked about zoning and, you know, how we, we zone our cities, you know, this is a park area, this is where we're going to have tall buildings. Right. And, and approved made, uses in the, in, 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 uh, in specific places. Right. And, and right. he had suggested to me, and it makes sense that our public lands and our, our parks also have sort of a zoning that, that give different mm-hmm. kind of experiences. And, right. uh, yeah. you know, when we talk about this wide open space of, of the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, um, it's kind of been zoned as, as, as a place where you can seek that peace and quiet, have those expansive views, uh, be away from motorized travel for 
large parts of the area. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side of that coin is this off-road vehicle type of usage. There is enormous amount of opportunity already within these neighborhoods to uh, have your off-road vehicle recreation. Um, thousands of miles of that's true. Roads. So, mm -hmm. um, I think Mark described it as the, the, the word multi-use comes up a lot in these management plans. And I think Mark Yeah, multiple said, use. Exactly. Right, multiple use. And Mark had said yeah. what they mean by that is all activities at all times everywhere. <laughs> right. I had a great experience uh, canoeing in, in Missouri once, and we set up our camp along this beautiful river bank. And at night, uh, I think guys came in with airboats gigging for sucker fish. <laughs> that was <laughs> right. anything but a night on the river with a tent. So uh, you know, you're bringing back some bad memories. I don't know if I got to sleep till they, were, till they caught their limit or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Right um, and stuff, but off-road vehicle use has has kind of taken a, a front seat in this new management plan, hasn't it? Uh, you're seeing you're seeing yeah. more activity on the monument. Well, I think that yeah, generally speaking, we're seeing more um, off-highway vehicles coming into the area. Um, that that type of use is invited. Um, by the county's um, tourism office, and I think there is a di there is a distinct um, effort underway to attract more of that type of visitation, bring more of that type of use to the region, um, which again is in clearly in conflict with the original you know intent of the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, which again. Recreation was expected, but um, the the monument was designated around scientists science related opportunity, and um, and recreation was kind of um, on the on the back burner, or was something that was going to be managed and allowed, and that's kind of flipped now. It's clearly flipped. In the, under the new um, management plan. So, so you mentioned the management, the new management plans, John. Mm -hmm. That um, so, despite the fact the lawsuit is not um, the light lawsuit still underway, um, uh, the, the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument um, uh, managers um, undertook um, at the direction of the, you know really the, the Department of Interior and the Utah's states BLM office uh, to develop new management plans for the three new national monuments and then the lands excised so there's three there's effectively four different management plans um, that were developed um, and are being rolled out currently so they, they, they've gone through the entire public process um, which we know is um, under, the, under the current administration is um, it's half baked. There um, there is a, an effort on the part of the BLM to to comply with with rules and regulations, but clearly they don't listen to the public. Clearly they um, are just trying to uh, give lip service to the um, to the regulations and and get done what they're here to do, which is to um, uh, Take the um, the whole to to eliminate the BLM effectively, to eliminate conservation lands um, as a whole, and to eliminate conservation principles from their um, from their work, uh, from their decision making. That's a large umbrella, um, but unfortunately and, and and we're gonna move on to that in a little bit here in in a little bit greater detail but mm -hmm. uh it's well stated and and that is the reality of what we're all witnessing right now yeah um particularly uh in your neighborhood which is kind of the forefront of a lot of these attacks yeah i'll just say it again it's, it's absolutely cl clear from my seat on the front row uh that 
what's happening is that um, the Department of Interior Secretary Bernhardt um, and his um, his BLM manager uh, Penley uh, are in the process of disintegrating, that is, removing piece by piece and dissolving and destroying the Bureau of Land Management. And so kind of what kind of what the Trump administration is doing to federal government in general, they are doing ex- an extremely effective job of, of, of doing that on um, uh, with respect to the um, Department of Interior. And, and uh, I mean, there's so, there's so many so many sins. I don't even know. Wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, we, we started. We, yeah. we would have to do one of those Michael Jordan documentaries that are ten hours long. Yeah, we might have to do a whole series. Right, exactly, just to right. scratch the surface. Um, there, there is one other user group that has been given a green light to uh, be much more aggressive. And that is the cattle ranching community outside the monument and within the monument. Right. Um, and, uh, that involves, uh, a handful of things, including something called revegetation projects. Right. Um, I, I just sent in a letter. Um, I'm going to have you describe the revegetation projects, but essentially the Bureau of Land Management has a responsibility to do an environmental study before they do these revegetation projects. Right. And the letter I sent in, they want to waive that requirement for any project that's 10,000 acres or less. Right. The administration is doing it currently in that regard. It's just as you said, John, they're uh, in, the, in the process of rewriting the rules so that um, in the case of um, a range restoration project um a, a, a name by the way that doesn't really tell you what happens but in in projects of 10,000 acres or less um, they're hoping to be able to just do those um uh under administ- through administrative decision making versus um a full on uh, environmental impact study and um a broader um, process that includes public comments. And this is America. We we like to, as a society, put our two cents in, and 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 it's we do. A, and it's been a valuable tool because, right? Uh, you know, these agencies are based in D.C. or at least were, mm-hmm. and to have people be able to point out, hey, I was over here and you might not want to do this because I know something you don't. Uh, you know, it's not just, hey, I'm right. an environmentalist. I'm against every project. Woo, right? This yeah. is this is more about having as much knowledge before we, you know, either mine or, or revegetate or build a road, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, um, I think it's worth mentioning uh, at this point to your listeners that it's still important to submit your comments that um, though we have this generally valid sense that the that um, the government's not listening to our comments, um, certainly not taking them seriously or, or applying them in any way to their, their planning processes currently, the fact that you establish a, a written record and submit it um, is, remains important because one day when this administration is gone and hopefully we have a more fair-minded administration in place, um, your comment as a matter of record um, will withstand that change and uh, remains um, important to um, most of the land management uh, agencies at the uh, working level, um, just not at the, at the administrative level where, um, again, comments are being um, ignored for the moment. As, are some of these comments possibly going to come up as a result of people ignoring them within the court cases, or is that too off the beaten track? Yeah. Well, no, I, I think that it's, I mean, that I think that, um, you know, 
where the lawsuit is currently, um, you know, we recently, uh, just last week, uh, our attorneys filed our reply in support of um, our partner's motion for summary judgment in the case. And at the same time, you know, and, and opposition to the defendant's cross motion for summary judgment, a bunch of technical terms. But, but at this point, the court now has, they're basically in the area where the, the court can rule the, uh, on the case or call for oral arguments. And um, I think however that plays out, I still, I believe that the court will find in our favor um, at, at the end of the day. And so when that happens, um, the judge will also have the a decision to make about what type of relief um, is appropriate in this case. And um, I think that we, our attorneys, have laid the, uh, the groundwork and made a clear case for um, why the new management plan should be tossed and, and management should revert back to the, um, the management plans that were in place before December of 2017. And, um, and if that's the case, I, would be, I believe that the BLM will then, of course, they'll, uh, regarding the lawsuit, I would anticipate some sort of an appeal. But I think with respect to the management plans, uh, the uh, BLM will immediately and begrudgingly, I'm certain, um, undertake a new planning process and be required to um, take into account our comments at that time. Excellent. Now, the, I, I do want to run back for just a minute here. Okay. Uh, we had talked about this really nice sounding revegetation project, but All right. projects, we really didn't describe uh, two bulldozers and a chain running through a forest. So right. if, the if you could the tell people part. What, that, what, <laughs> what that all entails and how the results are uh, a mixed bag at best. Yeah, what you're talking about there is the is the removal portion of restoration, and um, there's a couple different ways that that can take place. There's mastication where machinery is used to just basically grind the trees in place down to pulp um, and leave pulp all over the place, which is very destructive on the ground. Not to mention removing the forest. Then the other one is chaining, which I think you're referring to, um, which is um, uh, like a very large um, ship size chain stretched between two um, big uh, caterpillar uh, tractors, caterpillars, um, bulldozers on the landscape. And then, the, uh, and then they proceed across the landscape and the chain between the two, two uh, essentially rips out trees um, as you go in vegetation and rocks and turns the soil and um, and does its destruction that way. In either case, in either case, the results are the same. You're taking what um, you know what nature has provided in the form, um, in, in this case, mostly pinyon and juniper forests. Um, trees um, sprinkled with um, um, all kinds of other scientific resources that we have probably not discovered within that forest because just because they haven't been looked at that closely um, and uh, reduces the landscape to nil to, to barren landscape and then it's um, and then it's seeded the ground is then seeded um, with grasses, um, sometimes non-native species of grasses um, that um, are intended, um, technically intended to uh, in, invite wildlife into the region, but um, but actually intended to provide for cattle. So it's a it's definitely a bait and switch program of the BLM. And there is, I mean, I would have to, you know, say there is, I mean, that's very controversial, um, as you can imagine. There are, there are folks in the BLM who still believe that this is a beneficial um, way to 
improve the landscape for multiple use, but uh, there are plenty of us that disagree. So. Yeah, and and sometimes that grass doesn't take hold to begin right. with. Um, and yeah, I mean, imagine. So you know, we're, this is a landscape um, that at best receives uh, ten inches of, of precipitation a year. And in the lowest lands in the, uh, so there's places in the monument where three or four, five inches um, at most is of precipitation is received annually. So plant grass on that and um, and cross your fingers that uh, that'll grow. Um, doesn't always go that way. And if you if you take the view that this is actually being done for ranchers as opposed to for any solid environmental reason. Mm -hmm. um, the administration has lowered our grazing fees, the, 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 the charges to lease and graze on public lands to such a ridiculously mm -hmm. low amount that, uh, you know, spending any extra money to support that industry through this revegetation is almost a slap in the face to, you know, your average American taxpayer. $1.30, say $1.30. Right, so, <laughs> sorry about that. I love that. Hey, Marcia. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, we were talking about, uh, I, I just, I asked her uh, what the current AUM rate was, so so an AUM is a is a unit that's used to um, identify a cow and a calf on the landscape feeding, and what the rate is that uh, the question was what's the rate that um, the government is the BLM is now charging for a cow calf pair on your public lands for grazing here and and she's thinking it's a dollar thirty a month. Yeah, dollar thirty four. I'm just looking at yeah. So, so not a lot of benefit to to uh... no, no, not a lot of not a not a lot of financial benefit, but a really good deal for ranchers. Yeah, uh, John, I just got one more question. Okay, uh, before we wrap the, these things up, uh, we've sort of touched on it, but all these non-conservational mm -hmm. activities are being sanctioned by the Department of the Interior and the Bureau of Land Management, and once again, you have a front row seat to this shift in mission almost mm -hmm. or or how they're relating to the public. And in, in some talks you and I have had, you, you kind of pointed out that the job of oversight of these federal lands is almost the federal government is shirking that responsibility in terms of conservation. And that government's supposed to represent all of us and, and you're saying right. that the ball has been dropped into the hands of some local politicians in your neighborhood who aren't really thinking in terms of big picture, all Americans. Yeah, that's, well, that's exactly right. So um, it's, um, it's very clear that if, if, you, I mean, if you talk to Secretary Bernhardt uh, or William Pendley, um, you w would find out they're working very hard for the American people um, to do what's best for public lands um, in this you know, this part of the world. Um, but that's based on their sense that what's right is uh, local management uh, of public lands. So um, very early in our conversation today, I, I mentioned uh, the idea of management being flipped on its head upside down. And that's, that's literally what's happened here. So uh, my county commissioners um, uh, are calling the shots. And um, I like to say they have veto power over the, um, the Bureau of Land Management, both the state office and in Washington, D.C. They've um, been given uh, the authority to determined what's best on the land. For example, in the case of the, um, the, the two roads I mentioned that were reopened after being closed for, 
for 20 years. Um, this is something that the um, local government really pressed on the BLM to get done. They really wanted those roads open. And um, the Bureau of Land Management had the roads closed um, or, or listed as identified as administrative use only roads, so essentially closed to the public and really not used much um, by, um, by the BLM even. But, uh, but those roads did get open. Um, and despite the fact that there is not a new transportation plan, and um, and I'm not certain, I, I was not part of the process of, or not witness to the decision making, but just looking at the dynamics of, of what the BLM's doing and how it would normally do its job, that is to make these um, types of changes through a planning process that was an open process and included public comments and was done um, the old fashioned way. Um, these roads were just opened at the whim of the county. So one can clearly see that um, if the BLM pushes back on the local governments uh, in any regard that the commission uh, chair just picks up a picks up the phone and calls um, Washington and uh, complains and down through the state office comes a, a directive to uh, to coordinate activities with the counties. And, and all of these non-conservational activities that we've talked about, whether it be the revegetation projects, the off-road vehicle use, the extraction and, and the leasing, all that really reflects not necessarily the populace in and around the monument, but these, the will of these county commissioners. Right. And so, you know, and, and it's, it's, it is true that the commission commissioners are elected. They're not appointed. They're elected by citizens here in the county. Um, but the, I will reiterate that uh, how our public lands are managed by the federal government through the Department of Interior um, is very controversial locally. And so, um, again, you have, um, it just points to the fact that the, the monument is being managed um, at the will of uh, the local people and not according to the will and interests of the, the broader American public who effectively has a stake in the land as well. Is my uh, one of my old interview subjects, Congressman Grijalva, once said, "You don't know it, but you own a small piece of the Grand Canyon." <laughs> um, and as American citizens, we've inherited this public lands legacy from previous generations, and uh, there's a lot of us who would like to pass it on to future generations. Um, and that's really when when push comes to shove, what's at stake within the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument and Bears Ears National Monument. The other thing that's at stake here is that when we, when we win our lawsuit and when it is determined that under the, the very concise and simple Antiquities Act, that President Trump exceeded his authority um, by reducing the monuments, um, and, the, and the boundaries are reestablished to where they were originally, and then um, the monument management plans work themselves out one way or the other. Um, I still am troubled by the fact that this shift has taken place where management um, of, the, of the monument has been reduced the, the, to the point where um, it would take a very long time to, to get the right people back in with the right um, set of principles and values to reestablish um, a conservation-minded um, um, approach to managing the land. So uh, that's the, along with mining, along with uh, grazing, along with roads, um, there is this other aspect, which is management. And um, and I don't really see my way through how that's going to resolve 
Um, but I do think it will take a long time. It'll have to be a, a management team that is, is not here now, um, but brought in um, to do that difficult work to sort of reshape the culture uh, of monument management, not just on Grand Staircase, but, but all of the conservation lands um, so we can get back to where we were. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a journey and it's going to be a lot of work, but yep. uh, I'm more than happy to, to uh, join in with that work, as I'm sure many of our listeners are. So, Yeah, guys, and we'll, uh, be, we'll be here supporting the effort. Excellent, excellent. Well, John, th- this has been an eye-opener uh, for me and hopefully a fun ride for all the listeners. I, with, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for all you do on behalf of uh, Grand Staircase, our public lands, and your community, and also for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with us today. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, John, and uh, thank you for taking the time and your your interest. And again, thanks for the great work that Musicians Saving the Planet uh, is doing to um, to support our work. You guys deserve it. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Musicians Saving Our Home Planet podcast. Our mission is to educate and raise awareness about issues concerning our environment. Please visit our Facebook page to learn what you can do to save our home planet. Wishing you all the best till we meet again on our next episode. And thanks for doing your part to save our home planet.